Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. We have been uh, looking at the story of Jonah, a man that um, God used to save the largest and most powerful city of his day. And our purpose in this study is to, um, to learn how it is that God might use ordinary people like us to make kind of a world-sized amount of difference. And the reason Jonah's perfect for this is because Jonah is the most unlikely of all world changers. From the very beginning of the book of Jonah in the Old Testament, it's pretty clear that Jonah and God are at cross purposes. I mean, it starts right at the beginning when God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh to warn them of his judgment, but instead Jonah boards a ship heading in the opposite direction. So God sends a storm, and uh, Jonah finds himself in the water going down for the last time. But rather than drown, God sends a giant fish to swallow Jonah and somehow keep him alive inside the belly of this fish for three days. And in that fish, Jonah, Jonah asks God for his grace, and the fish spits Jonah out on dry land. And so Jonah's now ready to go to Nineveh. He goes to Nineveh and delivers the one-line warning that God tells him to say. And the most unusual and amazing thing happened. And that is, Nineveh listened to what Jonah said, and every one of them turned towards God. And so God relented from the destruction that he had planned on the city. Now, this would be a great place to end the Jonah story. I mean, mission accomplished. The entire city's been saved. Roll the credits. But the story isn't about Nineveh. It's about Jonah. That's why the title of the book is Jonah. It's not Nineveh. And so the story continues on. And the reason is because not all is well with Jonah. All is well with Nineveh now, but Jonah's still got a lot of struggles going on. And in chapter 4, really everything that Jonah's been struggling with completely boils to the surface. And what spews out of Jonah's mouth is the same thought that really keeps us from making a world of difference. And the thought is this, very simple thought, it occurs to us over and over again, and that is this, what about me? What about me? That, that stops us from really making an impact in our world. So in chapter 4, really the, the gloves are off, and Jonah just, he doesn't care anymore. He, he just lets it fly. He lets God know exactly what he thinks. And in response, God lets Jonah know what he really thinks. And this is where the story ends. We don't ever really know how Jonah responded. Why? I mean, you would think you'd want to extend maybe just a few more verses to see, well, how did, how did Jonah respond to this back and forth between he and God? Did he, did he ever turn around? Did he ever come to his senses and adopt God's perspective on things, or, or did he continue on in the way he was? Well, we, we just don't know. And I think the reason the book ends here is because the, the story of Jonah is about more than Nineveh, and it's really about more than Jonah. It's about you, and it's about me. It's about everyone that reads this story. And the big question is this. This is why it ends as a cliffhanger, because the question is for us. How will we respond? Will we live a what about me kind of life, or will we live a what about them kind of life? And so the story ends with a big question mark, a cliffhanger. And the purpose is to put us in the position of saying, okay, what about us? What's our answer going to be? I don't know what Jonah's answer was, but that's not our responsibility. The question now is ours. What, what are we going to do with this? So let's listen in to this final and pretty explosive chapter, Jonah chapter 4. Let me Read it for you as you follow along. We're going to put it on the screen behind here. Jonah 4, chapter 1, or chapter 4, rather, verse 1. 
But Jonah was greatly distressed and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have any right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you, you've been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. That was the ancient way of saying they were wealthy and a lot of influence. Should I not be concerned about that great city? So it, it's clear that God and Jonah have very, very different perspectives on the city of Nineveh and really the world at large. A perspective is something that you, you can't force on somebody else. You can't take your perspective and transfer it to somebody else. They have to see it for themselves. And so God gives Jonah a set of experiences that are designed to, to change his perspective on Nineveh and on the world. The word perspective really comes from two Latin words. The, the first part, P-E-R, means through in Latin. And the, the root of the word, specari, which, which means to see. That's where we get uh, spectacle or, or spectator. It means to see. And so you gain perspective when you see more than what's apparent, more than just what's in front of you. You, you literally see through to what's really going on. So, for example, if someone tries to trick you or swindle you and, and you perceive it, we say that you've seen through the, the trick. You've seen through the, what the person is doing. It doesn't mean that the person that you're seeing ceases to be visible, but it just means you, you now really know what's going on. You're, you're not fooled anymore. You're seeing through the apparent to what's really happening. And so when we gain God's perspective on the world, it means that we can see through everything that's, that's kind of apparent to what's really going on. We can see through this world to, to what's really happening behind the scenes. And like Jonah, there are two obstacles that we face that we have to be able to see through if we're ever going to adopt God's perspective on life. One, number one is this. We, we must see through our rights to God's grace. What's very apparent to all of us and what drives all of our anger is whenever our perceived rights have been violated. But that, that blinds us, that keeps us from seeing past our rights to what's really going on in the backdrop of everything is, is God's tremendous kindness and grace. And, and we miss that. We, we just don't see that because we're busy prosecuting our rights like Jonah did. After Nineveh repents, Jonah storms out of the city 
And, well, quite literally, he throws a temper tantrum. He finds a perch east of the city from which he can see the entire city, and he, he sits there and he pouts until, apparently what he's trying to do, until God feels bad enough to destroy this terrible capital city of the enemies of his people. And so God's first words to Jonah are these. This is what he says. Have you any right to be angry? Now, I know you're angry, but do you have any right to be angry? Whenever we're angry, it's because some perceived right has been violated. And that just, that triggers our anger. And God's question is, is your anger based in reality? Or is your perceived right not actually a right at all? And therefore, your anger is, well, is, not, is not correct. And Jonah felt that he had the right to be angry, clearly. I mean, you can just imagine what's running through Jonah's mind. I mean, he felt that he had the right to live his own life as he pleased. And God had no right to interrupt him and send him on this mission. Jonah clearly felt he had the right to travel freely without almost being drowned. He definitely had the right to better transportation than inside the belly of a fish. And without a doubt, Jonah was convinced God had no right to humiliate him in Nineveh like he did. See, for Jonah, this was a tremendous humiliation. If word ever got out that, that he had done this and you know word was going to get out of something of this scale, he, he, he couldn't imagine how he could ever return to his home city of Jerusalem. How could he ever come home and explain, yeah, I was the key person that, that saved the capital city of our sworn enemies? I mean, basically felt like he was without a country and without a home now. So he's furious. His rights had been violated, but had they really? It's this notion of rights that, that really forms the bedrock of all of our perspectives. But the truth is, the only right any of us, including Jonah, have ever really had is the right to either say yes or to say no to God. That's the right that we've all been given. We can freely say no to God or we can say yes. That really is the only true right we have in our relationship with God. And with that right, we have all chosen death when we said no to God, who is the author and sustainer of life kind of like saying no to oxygen. You can't do that and, and live for very long. Now, we may have said no to God verbally, or maybe not, but we've all said no to God with our lives. Some of us louder than others, some of us longer than others, but we've all come to that place in life where we've said, no, I'm, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm not going to do life the way God wants me to do it. And we've said no. And in doing so, we've said no to the author and sustainer of life. And now, every single thing that we get in this life, other than instant and immediate death, is a gift of God's grace. That's, that's why we're breathing. That's why we're living today. It's because of God's kindness and his grace. But we, we just don't see that. We, we feel that we have the right to all of these things, and God says, you don't even have the right to be alive. This was Jonah's problem, too. But rather than explain the flaw in Jonah's thinking, God lets Jonah experience it. You see, you have to see it for yourself. You can't just be told it. In one day, Jonah gets so attached to a shade plant that he begins to think of this plant as his right. Now, from our perspective, it's, it's bizarre. But God's making a very clear point to Jonah and to us here. 
And then when, when Jonah, or when, when God takes away this plant, Jonah loses it again. He gets angry again. And so God repeats the first question again with one added phrase. This is what he says. Do you have the right to be angry? And now it's about this vine. Before it was, do you have the right to be angry about what happened here in Nineveh and how I used your life? And now God's reduced it down to, do you have the right to be angry about this plant here? Listen to Jonah's well-thought-out response. I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. I don't hear a rational reason. I mean, he's angry. Anger isn't rational. It's very emotional. So here's a plant that God provided one day ago. I mean, this, this plant is 24 hours old. All Jonah did was sit there. So how is this one-day-old plant a right? Clearly, it's not. But Jonah's convinced that it is. What, what is God saying here? Well, if, if I could put it into words, and it would sound something like this. Jonah, I, I know that you can't see your life as it really is. But let me tell you what it looks like from my perspective. It's, it's very similar to this plant. If it wasn't for me, like this plant, you wouldn't even exist. You wouldn't have been born. If it wasn't for me, you, you wouldn't have continued to live. You wouldn't be able to earn money and, and live and continue to sustain your life and buy food and shelter. In fact, God would say, if it wasn't for me, Jonah, sustaining your life right now, you'd be dead. Like this plant right here that withered in a day and died. So Jonah, help me understand how this is your life to do with as you please any more than this is your plant to do with as you please. You've enjoyed both, your life and this plant, because of my good grace. But do not turn my kindness into something that you now think you deserve just simply because you've experienced it for a while. God would go on to say, Jonah, I, I know your life seems like it's been going on for a long, long, long time. But from where I sit on the throne of eternity, it's very much like this plant. It grew up in a day... And before you know it, it's going to be gone. Now, Jonah, you are worth so much more to me than, than a plant ever will be. But don't think that just because you want something, you deserve it. Like this shade plant, Jonah, you, you were created by me for a purpose that I have decided. And if you insist on living for yourself, you will never know your true purpose. So, Jonah, set aside what you think you deserve and start doing what I created you to do. That's the path to true happiness. And God would turn to us and say the same thing, that the choice is ours. We can say yes or no. That is our only right. And the question is, will we, like Jonah, in anger, insist that God get on board with our plans, or will we submit to his? This is what happens over and over again. We, we form a plan. We may call it a dream or a goal, and, and it, something happens, or we encounter struggle on the route to our goal, and, and we just we get mad at people getting our way, and then ultimately we get mad at God if it doesn't work out. We're, we're just like Jonah sitting on that 
that elevated position looking out over the city of Nineveh, freaking out over a plant. God says, you're not seeing. You're not seeing the way things really are. You need to join into why I created you if you're going to experience real purpose. So that, that's the first giant perspective switch that we need to see. I mean, in our culture right now, we are adding more and more and more rights. And it's just increasing our, our anger, really, about how wrong we are. And this spills over in our relationship with God, and it, it turns us into a what-about-me kind of people. Rather than, as God would say, what about them? What about all these people in Nineveh? We're busy prosecuting our rights and saying, what about me? What about what I deserve? And, and we can spend our whole life and entirely miss who we really are and what our purpose is because we're fixating on plants. And so that brings us to the, the second obstacle that we have to see through, and that is we, we have to see through the temporary to the permanent. This is an ongoing challenge for us. We, we are very much like Jonah with this plant. Most of our emotional energy goes to the temporary plant-like parts of our life, while we tend to ignore the permanent and far more important matters that we have a chance to be a part of. You see, most of life comes and goes in phases, much like Jonah's plant came and went in a day. I mean, there was a time in my life when all I could think about was school. I mean, not only, you know, the 12 years of school to graduate from high school, but then I went on and got an undergraduate degree. That took me four years. Then I got a master's degree. That took me five years. And so there, there were a couple of decades there where that's all I could think about was school. It just dominated my mind. It was the theme of my life at that point. But, you know, it's been a long, long, it's been decades since I've ever taken a final exam. I mean, I remember losing sleep over final exams, especially in graduate school. But I, I haven't given a thought about a final exam in decades. That time has passed. And then, after that, I was fixated about who I should marry. I mean, that's about all I could think about. It's about all my friends and I talked about, well, who, what do you think about her? And what about that person? What do you think about this? And we date, and no, no, not that. And there was just all this stuff going on, and it just was our world. And then I got married, and, you know, that's over 30 years ago now. I had a good friend tell me one of the best things about marriage is you don't have to date anymore. <laughs> uh, you know, that, that's, that's, that's true. It's a blessing. And then, for the better part of two decades, it was all about raising kids. I mean, that, that was our life. I mean, we did other things, but, boy, that was the theme. You know, solving problems, trying to figure out how to make ends meet, and all the stuff that happens when you raise kids. And then they were raised, and then it was about how are we going to pay for their college? And then it was about who should they marry, and what do we think about that, and do we even have a say in that, and I guess not, and oh, and <laughs> so it was all about that for a while. But now they're grown, our, our two kids are grown, and they're both married to great people. You know what I, what I realized several years ago is all the stuff that used to keep me up at night has now passed. All that stuff. There's new stuff. But that stuff's all passed. In its place, there is, as I said, new stuff to, to think about, new stuff to fixate on, new plants that need tending 
and in whose shade, like Jonah, I find comfort. But they're just plants. Now, they do need tending. You do need to raise your kids. You, you probably should get some education. It, it'd be great to, you know, figure out these different things in life. But they come and go. And God, God has not created our life to just be a, a series of plants that we tend to that then wither. God doesn't want us just to have a life of, yeah, we did that, and now it's gone, and then we did that, and now it's gone, and we did that, and now it's gone, and, and then we die. In the, in the middle of all of the plants, in the middle of all of those things that really do matter, God intended something bigger and more important than all of those added up together. We've been created to do far more than just concern ourselves with the temporary problems and issues of life and phases of life. And, and God makes it so clear to Jonah what this is, and therefore to us. Here's what he says, the very last verses of this book. You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left hand and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Jonah, what God is saying is, Jonah, you're not seeing past or through this temporary plant to the permanent souls that are walking around the city right in front of you. And one day, Jonah had wrapped his heart around a bush that ended up only living one day. Here he was, all worked up over a dying plant. I mean, literally ready to die because of the loss of this plant. When just beyond that plant, probably the plants in the foreground, the cities in the background, just beyond that plant, there were 120,000 people who didn't know right from left when it comes to God. What God is saying is that they're lost. They're, they're walking around. They're spending their lives thinking that they've got a beat on life. And we all know what this looks like. You know, we, we, we kind of can spend our, people can spend their lives going down one blind alley after another thinking, oh, there's happiness. I hear it calling. And you walk down the blind alley and it, bam, you hit the end of it and discover, oh, marriage was not the thing that put my life together. Well, maybe it wasn't this person. Maybe it's another person. They walk down another blind alley. And then, then they find something else. They walk down another blind alley. And then after a lifetime of walking down blind alleys, these 120,000 people were just days away from slipping off a cliff into an eternity where there was no hope and there is no joy because there is no God where they were going. And God is saying, Jonah, 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 my heart is wrapped around them and whether or not they will ever find me. And here you are crying about a one-day-old shrub. Do you, see, do you see it, Jonah? What's wrong with Jonah, really? I mean, honestly, what is wrong with him? Well, before you get too hard on Jonah, I would propose it's the exact same thing that's wrong with us. I mean, if you look at what we have shed tears over, if you look at, well, let's just ask, let's just be honest, what was at the top of your concern meter this week? 
I mean, was it how to prepare for retirement? Was it how to advance your career? Was it how to solve a problem at work? Was it how to handle this situation with your kids? All of those are fine and important. You do need to be concerned about those things. But, but what God is saying here is, okay, everyone, time out. Just so you know, in the grand scheme of things, all of those things that tend to peg your concern meter are one-day-old plants, really. They seem like everything this week. But there'll be a day when you'll be looking back on them and you'll have to shake your head to remember what exactly happened. They just won't last. But, but people, in the middle of all of this, the people that are walking around you, the people that are, that are in your path, those people, they're eternal, just like you are. They have souls that will last forever. Their bodies won't, but their souls will. So, God looks out over this city of Huntington Beach. Not 120,000 people, 200,000 people, surrounded by many, many more. And he says, don't you think that all of these people who are clueless about me, and they know all kinds of stuff, they're very smart people. They don't just have a few cattle, they, they got all kinds of stuff. Don't you think I should be concerned about this? Don't you think that should be my top concern, God is saying to us? I mean, they're not just plants that come and go. They're people with eternal souls, and they will either spend forever with me in heaven or apart from me in hell. Because the only right we ever have is yes or no to God. Everybody thinks they have the right to heaven, and God says, oh, you're not seeing it. You don't see it. Nineveh was just 40 days away from eternity, and God says, as far as I can tell, Jonah, I'm the only one that's concerned about this city. I'm the only one whose heart aches over this bunch. Jonah, the most I could get from you on the passion category was this plant. That, the whole trip, this, this is the thing that you've become most concerned about. Now again, before we get too hard on Jonah... God is making this point to all of us. So what are you concerned about this week? Your finances? Good. You should be. Your marriage? Very good. Your kids? Definitely. The challenges that you face this week at work? Oh, you, you should be concerned about those things. They need your attention. Your health? That, that's a great thing to be concerned about and to handle rightly. But what about all of the people that cross your path every week who are literally clueless? They're, they're walking around in circles with their eternity on the line. They're, they're not just clueless about, you know, how to get the next test passed or how, how to get a job. Or They're clueless about stuff that lasts forever. God's stuff. They just can't tell the right hand from the left when it comes to God. And if someone doesn't take them by the hand and help them discover spiritual north from south, they're going to wander around for a few decades in circles, spiritually, and then they're just going to stumble off the cliff of eternity forever. Every, everybody needs someone who's concerned about their eternal life to help them. And the problem is, most people have no one but God on this. God's the only one that's concerned about most people. Most people don't have an individual 
who is praying for them, who's reaching out to them, who's trying to help them. I mean, you can't force anybody to come to their senses about God, but most people have no one who is working and trying to help them. The reason is because we're all too busy gardening. We're all too busy tending the plants of life. So I'd, I'd like us to get very practical on this matter as we wrap up this series today. That's why we've put this little card. Hopefully it hasn't fallen out yet, but I'd like to ask everyone to grab this, this little business-sized card <coughs> Excuse me, out of your program. It says invest and invite on the front. On the back, it's got one, two, and three with a line next to it. What I would like you to do and suggest for you to do, this is just for you. This is just to help you. You're not going to do anything else with this, but just use it yourself. Is I would encourage you to pick three people and put their names, one, two, and three. I'd recommend just their first names in case you lose this. Okay? Just their first names. Three people who are not, as far as you know, not part of a church anywhere. You may not know everything that's going inside of them, but you know that for them, the God stuff is definitely not very high on the priority list. They're not a part of a church, attending a church anywhere. And I, wouldn't, I want to ask us to do three things. Number one, pray for these three throughout this summer. Next week is Memorial Day weekend, the official kickoff of summer. I would encourage us to pray for these three people consistently this summer. And then, at number two, I would encourage you to invest in those relationships this summer. Help them in practical ways. Serve them. Have them over for a meal to your house. Just take advantage of the summer and invest. These are people that are in your path. Just make an investment, a, a concerted investment this summer. And then this fall, I would encourage you to take the step, the courageous step that we talked about last week, and actually invite them to come to church this fall with you. you know, our big day, we call it our big day, is on September 18th. We, we have a big barbecue in the afternoon, start a new message series in the morning, and I would encourage you to, to invite them on that Sunday. See what God might do with that. Now, you may be able to think of the three right away. You may need to pray about for a little bit just, just to think about who, who would the three be for me this summer. But I would encourage you to use these cards. Write down the first names on the card and then keep these cards in your wallet or your purse as a reminder throughout this summer. And to really remind us to, to see beyond the plants that, that we're concerning ourselves with to what's really on the heart of God because this is what really matters most. It's for you, these three people. You, you can't all by yourself reach 200,000, but God can use you to reach three. And that's a start. We're going to end this series this morning by sharing communion together. Communion is a, a visual reminder of the price that Jesus paid for this world-changing grace of God. And Jesus himself told us to do this as a regular reminder of his sacrifice for us. So communion has two parts to it. We, we eat little pieces of unleavened bread that's a reminder to us of the body of Jesus that was broken for us in the, the beatings that led up to his crucifixion, quite literally the, the chunks of flesh that were taken from him leading up to his death. And then the red juice is a very visual reminder of his blood that was poured out for us when he died on the cross. 
and, and I wanted to end our, this series this way, this Jonah series this way, because communion really is a very sober, somber reminder of the grace that we all desperately need and the price that Jesus paid for it. And it's also a very sober reminder of the number of people around us who still need God's grace. Now, this is only for those who have accepted God's offer of grace through His Son, Jesus Christ. Those who have decided to, to follow Jesus and have made it their commitment to obey Him. So, if you're here today and that's not you, you're investigating Christ, we are so glad you're here. This is one of our purposes as a church, to try to help you understand these things so that you can make your own mind up. But if you haven't decided on this matter yet, we, this, is, this is just for those who have. So just as the ushers pass these in just a moment, just let it go by you. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to do anything to make you stand out, but just let this pass. So ushers, why don't you come forward at this point and begin to distribute the, the bread and the juice. It's all in, in one package, so go ahead and grab this as the ushers pass this to you. And hold on to it. Don't do anything with it right now. I'm going to guide us through this as we partake in this together. And once you get this cup, what we're going to do is I'm going to, we're going to take a moment uh, of silent prayer, silence where we can examine our hearts so that we can do business with God. And we don't want to just rush into this and have it be a meaningless ritual. And so these are the things that you can do during the period of silent prayer in just a moment once you get these. If there is a sin for you to confess, uh, take the time in this silent period, to, to confess this to God. The Holy Spirit in your heart will, will bring up, ask him, is there something that I need to confess? And if there's a thought that, you know, this is something that I've done wrong, then confess that to God before you partake of communion. If you need to forgive somebody, then go ahead and let that go. Forgive them. It would be inappropriate for you, while you're thanking God for his forgiveness, to be holding out and not forgiving somebody else. So if you need to forgive someone in your heart of hearts, do that also during this time. If there's a relationship that needs to be cleared up, there's conversations that need to be had, it, it may be a complex relationship, maybe you can just begin the conversation, then purpose in your heart to do that as soon as possible, this afternoon, if at all possible. If God brings to your heart, you know what, you, you need to have this conversation with this person. You guys have gotten sideways, and, and you need to clear this up. Then during this silent period of time, tell God that you'll do that as soon as possible. And then I would encourage you to pray for the three people that you've put down on your card. Or if you're, if you're not clear on who those three people should be, then use a little bit of this time just to say, God, who should these be for me? You, you see my path. You know who's in my path. Who, who should these three people be? And ask God to begin to tell you who, that, who he wants you to pray for, invest in, and then invite. So let's take a moment of silent prayer. We're just going to have a little music playing in the background while we do this. And then I'll lead us to partake in the bread first and then the juice. So let's silently pray together.
and um, peel off the first layer. This may not look like bread, but this is unleavened bread. So in the words of Jesus, this is what he said on the night that he was betrayed. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. Okay, go ahead and peel back the next layer to get at the juice. Just hours before his own blood flowed from the places where he had been nailed to the cross, Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, this cup is a new covenant, which means the new agreement or the new contract. In my blood, it's written in my blood. Forgiveness is written in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink this together. And I want to read the last two verses of Jonah again. And I want to insert some of the, um, the updated times and places into what God said to Jonah. He says, Jonah, you've been concerned about this vine. We could insert car, house, investment. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight, and it'll die overnight. But Nineveh, let's insert Huntington Beach, has more than, not 120,000 people, but 200,000 people who cannot, they cannot tell their right hand from their left. And many cattle as well, I don't see many of those, but lots of stuff as well. And God would say to us, should I not be concerned about that great city? Let's pray. Father, we just, we, we admit to you that our hearts are very much like Jonah. We spend so many of our days getting angry about plant-sized problems, things that we have grown to feel are our rights, and we completely miss your grace and how much we are depending on it and how much other people need it. And we go through the phases of life, spending the, the lion's share of our emotional concern about the things that are very temporary. And I, just, I pray that these words that you've just said, should I not be concerned about that city, that these words would echo in our hearts and in our minds that we would not be able to just to move past those words. That we wouldn't be able just to go to lunch today and get busy today and then just forget this. God, I pray that you would make it clear the three people that you want us to pray for and invest in and then invite to join us here at Seabreeze this fall. Help us to be able to have the courage to take a hold of someone by the hand personally and, and guide them to you. God, I pray that you would free hundreds and thousands of people here in the city of Huntington Beach from, from being lost when it comes to you and that you would use us. We thank you for showing us your perspective 
Help us now to adopt it. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.